Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So there's gratitude yeah, okay. for you. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah. But look, welcome to the, uh, the Word podcast. How very wonderful of you to join us. And we are joined this uh, week by two people. On my right, Rob Fitzpatrick. Hello. And uh, ahead of me here, uh, the wonderful John Niven. Hi there. John, how would I describe you? You were a former record uh, company executive, a former guitarist, in fact, in the Wishing Stones. Indeed. Yeah, with Bill Prince, Mm -hmm. old pal of ours. Uh And a journalist and a novelist. And now the author of a book that we have um, written very, very... um, Volubly about in our, yeah. in our upcoming issue. It's almost Kill a tribute friend. issue, actually. It's a tribute <laughs> to John Niven. Yeah. It's, it's called, okay. the book is called Kill Your Friends, and it is absolutely fantastic, I think. I think we'll do terribly well. But let me just ask you various things about it. The character, the central character, is it's based in 1997, uh, very specifically, and there's lots of information to indicate that this, this, this is the very year we're talking about. Uh-huh. And the central character, Stephen Stelfox, is a sort of chauvinist... Uh, sexist, um, racist. bigoted, racist, loathsome character you cannot believe. Come in, Dave. David Hepworth just joined us. Oh, oh, no, I've just been holding my hand up and all the times the door has been open trying to indicate to people we're trying to record in here. That's tricky, that, because you said yeah. the loathsome, sexist, racist thing. That's David, yeah, David Hepworth. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, here he is now. Yeah. Shh. Yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, I'm going to tell you this just in. Oh, this just in, yeah. This is live. on the Today programme this morning, 20 past 8, accused Word of of being a propaganda magazine obsessed with the past, and no one has moved on apart from Van. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really looking forward to what happens next, which is the Word magazine. Thank you for that. I'm going to get even. They're going to get mad and angry first, and then they're going to get even. The Word. So, John, yeah, the central character of the book is, is a, a genuinely repulsive human yeah, yeah. being. Absolutely loads of it. Loads absolutely everything, including music. Mm. So, I mean, I can't imagine that too much of this is based on you. Maybe it is. Uh, no, no, it's not, it's not me. Um, <laughs> you know, um, a few people have been speculating as to who the character's based on. It's no one specific. And, uh, in the novel, you very rarely get away with putting real people straight in the page. They tend to end up being very flat. So the character's a composite of two or three people I knew. But in terms of the exaggeration, I sent it to one of the guys who was his inspiration for Stealth Fox, and his response was, you know, funnily enough, people will probably think you're exaggerating. 
So while he does do, you know, extremely excessive things, the sort of mentality he represents isn't that far off the mark, scarily. No, it, it is astonishing to think that, uh, you know, these levels of debauchery firstly took place. I mean, there's, there's the, the reliance on cocaine and hookers, for example, well, seems to people who weren't working in A&R to be excessive, I mm, think. Well, yeah. and, uh, well I, I, can, I can see that, but um, I can tell you it's not particularly. And also, um, I think we have this fanciful notion that, or maybe it was like that in the 70s, but, you know, certainly not by the 90s. People don't change that much in a decade or so. The industry I came into in the early 90s was still very much a 1980s hangover, mm. which was still a bit... You don't look at history books and go, oh, people in the 1820s were so different from people in the 1810s. History, it takes decades mm. for people to evolve that much. So the music industry, you know, if you read The Hitman by Frederick Dannon... Yeah. It, yeah, people's behaviour outwardly was modified by the 90s. You couldn't you know, walk around, you know, with your red power braces on, slapping women and saying, get me some coke and hookers. It was all a little more... You could sort of subtle. suggest it, though, couldn't you? You certainly could, yeah. <laughs> with that much success. <laughs> but but I mean, the, one of the underlying reasons, presumably, for the way that this whole culture had, had developed in, in, in A&R, particularly in record companies in, in the 90s, late 90s, was that it was so successful. It was so buoyant, wasn't but, it? That's the point, yeah. I made this point recently. There was so much it's, money involved. It's quite hard for people to comprehend now. Back at that time, a brand new CD in 94 or 95 was 12 to 15 quid. Let's say an average of 14 quid. It, money roughly devalues by half every te- decade or so. So you look at it, 28 quid in today's money for your brand new copy of Be Here Now. Mm. The profit margin. And how much of that went back to the record company? It was a huge you know, amount. You're paying it? the artist. If you sign them, if you sign them, you're lucky if you're getting two quid. Two back, then, added, yeah. back, back then, quid, quid 50 and an average deal. And then, you know, bits and bobs from market, maybe a quid a record. Yeah. And the retailer got their bit. But the profit margin was probably seven pounds each a record. Because it's so fascinating. There's a bit where you're in a, in a meeting, uh, that your, your character is in a meeting. Clearly, this is your own experience, you know. And you're talking about the acts that you're meant to be signing, the developing acts. And there's that incredible tension whereby, and this is true of all industries, obviously, where you've got to have a hit. Mm. You know, if you haven't signed a hit record for, for the last 18 months, people are getting less and less interested in what you've got to say. And mm. Your job is yeah. more and more on the line. <laughs> are you, in, in, in real life, signed, of course, Mike Flowers' uh, <laughs> version of what, Wonder what was that? Was it Wonder, uh, Wonder, Wonder, Wonder 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 Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and how many copies did that sell? Well, we did, God, I think half a million by Christmas week. You know, it was nearly, it was nearly the Christmas number one. It was mm. such a lunatic way yeah. to be Again, you're in our career. It was just a complete. So, act. based on your equation before, how much money did that make your record company? You half it's a million. Something years. like with bits involved, probably between a million, million and a half. You know, it's just astonishing. Isn't but it? this was back when you could sell singles. I mean, yeah. London. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Where I want was a singles machine. We'd have, you know, I mean, I we'd have two or three top I five singles a month. That came out, and I remember selling ha- copies hand over fist. Because mm. the thing about that is it. It, that record particularly is it uh, is it sort of me- it had two things happening it beautifully which is people's passion for Wonderwall and also the kind of the incoming passion for the sort of lounge lounge core, course that kind of, of thing and it put them both together really brilliantly yeah it was, and people just went yeah brilliant. well the other thing that that would this is this is also a signifier how much the landscape has changed we spent not p on marketing that record mm. not a red cent Chris Evans got hold of it before we signed it and decided on a demo, basically, and said, I'm going to play this every day. The breakfast show then got 12, 14 million listeners. So that was it. Job done. Didn't have to spend. And what was the record company's uh, opinion when you came in and said, I want to sign this kind uh, well, of uh, the, the kitsch fun- lounge core version I, of the I, old I, I, I saw him. Did they all laugh at well, you? I went to see, I went to a private party that Mike Flowers was the musical entertainment at, and uh, was briefly introduced, very nice chap, very bright, 
but I was very drunk. Didn't think anything more. Went to the office next day and someone said to me, what did you do last night? I said, saw this band, the Mike Flowers Pops. Were there any hats? And I said, nah, it's all covers. Fuck them. Came the reply, you know. <laughs> Such is the tenderness in a and half pounds. Sure enough, on Monday morning, Chris Evans, I'll be playing this every day. Yeah. Where's that phone number? <laughs> yeah. It was no longer fuck them. It was, yeah. let's get a meeting. Yeah. So uh, the, he met with several labels that week, but we were lucky enough in that we just got in the door first, you know. Mm. It's a complete lottery, isn't it? There's a brilliant bit. I think we should read this out. Mm. Rob, I think you should read this out. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit well, where your character goes to, uh, to me down. Well, this is 1979. You've got it here. Start yeah. with the beekeepers. And you list all the groups that are basically on the table that the record yeah. companies are looking to sign. And I think when I... And Rob's about to read it out. I think there's only about seven that I'd ever heard of. And they obviously were the ones that were signed and were, or rather were successful. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, probably Who were they? Uh, well, in the book it said, this is what we reckon that you're going to be buying and enjoying in the coming year or so. The Beekeepers, we know them. Luna, Feline, Proper, Lower, Arnold, the Dub Pistols, the High Birds, the Aloof, Spooky Reuben, Sally Burgess, Ragger and the Jack Magic Orchestra, Genocide 2, a couple of good records from them, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Hard Body, Finley Quay, Jocasta, Old Man Stone, Ajax Disco Spanner, classic. Ajax Disco Spanner, <laughs> Gus Gus, Vitro, Travis, heard of them, yeah. Agnes, Monkey, Tiger, they were, of course, the second-rate ultrasound. Mm. Brilliant. Don, the Nicotines, <laughs> Manta Ray, Laguna Meth, brilliant. Manta Symposium, Ray. awful. Yeah. Dead Star, uh, Foil, Peach, Manbreak, Ether, Charlotte Kelly, My Life Story, Robbie Williams, <laughs> whatever happened to Robbie you. Robbie Williams, yeah. Aqua Sky, Code Red, The Driven, Dust Junkies, Silver Sun, Alistair Tennant, Kanicki, First Class, Ryan Malloy, North and South, Olive, you're not alone. <laughs> Blue Amazon, Nash, Kelly Larina, Belvedere Kane, Horace Andy, Ariel, Craig Armstrong, Kavanaugh, oh, we know a story about him, Lilacs, One Inch Punch, Kings of Infinite Space, Mandalay, The Stereophonics, Boo, Akin, Amar, DJ Pulse, Snug, Ebo Man, M Beat, Slipknot. It's Slipknot. It's absolutely, don't you make you feel that? How incredibly hard it must have been for well, an artist. Just listen to that. You get a sense how bulging the Where Are They Now file really is. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big old yeah. ball. It's where wow. are they now? Landfill, isn't it? But I still Fox is there. It's pick mm. the change out of that lot. Yeah. Go on. Totally. You know, mm. and that, 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 that's the job. You know, mm. so, and no, no one knows, you know. But any and that, everyone, nobody knows, but everybody has to have a theory. Of course, when Dick Rowe turned the Beatles down, it wasn't, he's not going to sit there and say to Epstein, I don't like your band. He says, guitar music's on the way out. Yeah. So theorising <laughs> is very popular. Yeah. I once saw a guy who I wouldn't name, very successfully now, a guy, smash the first White Stripes album to pieces and throw it out a four floor window saying, no one is ever, ever going to be having this dribble. Mm. Um, of course, it was because you know, it's just a girl playing the drums and a guy scrubbing the guitar. It's not a proper band. Mm. So, got, you know, as in Hollywood, when you get the Schwarzenegger effects yeah. laden blockbuster, like, this can't miss. Does nobody would see it because of course it's fucking rubbish. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. then you have Little Miss Sunshine. How? Why did that? What quirky little indie film with loads yeah. of swearing and nobody in it? Indie, you know? Why did you know? It's a similar mentality, you know. But it's sobering, isn't it, when you think that out of that list of whatever it was, fifty or sixty names, you've only really heard of five or six of them and all those 60 must have had management mm. yep. and funding and, and they probably made a load of expensive records and those were the ones that were actually in contention there were millions of others yeah. that never got that just that year alone that never mm. got to that stage. collective with those bands you're looking at there you're probably getting towards 100 million pounds worth of cash down the toilet if you'd taken all the money in the record and stuck yeah. it into property around the southeast, you'd be a lot better off today. yeah you would um, no question. And, uh, but yeah. out of those six bands you said that you've heard of, I reckon yeah. out of those six, probably only two, maybe three, actually saw some royalties themselves, actually recouped. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Robbie Williams, Stereo Williams, Williams and Travis. 
Yeah. Stereophonics, obviously, yeah. yeah. Maybe three. It is astonishing, but, isn't it? But there's so many, oh, there's so many fascinating dimensions to the book. One is there's a character, and again, you're constantly trying to work out upon whom these people are based, mm. but there's a character in your fiction called Rage, mm. who is a kind of uh, gold-toothed, um, how would you describe it? Ghetto hip-hop. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a drum and bass auteur. Drum and bass auteur. Rob Neal's impressively. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. You, you should be the media, mate. That's a pretty slick stuff. It never happened. Rock criticism. Yeah, yeah. amazing. But uh, <laughs> no, anyway, there's a meeting where this guy is fantastically well described and, and, you know, huge amounts of investment have gone into this guy's new record. But because mm. he's had some success, um, he hasn't got much A&R control, has he? He's been allowed to go mm. off and do what he wants to do. Yeah. And he's produced... I'm describing it. Is it what is a one hour? One track is on for now. Uh, yeah. It's a sort of, you know, um, drum and bass opera, mm. basically. <laughs> Which is, let's face it, what the world's been waiting for. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you can imagine being at the playback for that yeah. after you've sunk a fair old load of cash yeah. into it. Was I, but I think the beautiful thing about that is, is you know, you're talking about at the time. Um, the industry was so swollen with cash that you, if something, if something like someone of uh, Rage's type came along, for instance, and had a huge hit, I don't know, with a record about inner city life or something like that. <laughs> the, the fact is that, of course... It's you not, may speculate. Yeah, well, I can speculate. I'll, spe- I'll speculate. The, the fact is that the people involved in that record, involved in putting out that record, and involved in that hit, are going to go, oh, my God, this is amazing, but they don't really know what's going on anyway. Yeah. Just, you know, they just, they've lucked... It is a br- that was a brilliant record in a big hit, big album. But then, so then this guy, they sort of think, oh, my God, this guy is going to be amazingly brilliant and he gets loads of money and they leave him alone to do his thing and in the book there's you know he's left alone he says oh I can't work I can't need to go on tour but I have to replicate the whole studio and all this kind of thing and nobody is in nobody is is nobody kind of confident enough about the situation to go don't talk bollocks they, just get it sorted and do this so they just leave him to go off because yeah. nobody wants to take the responsibility of going there's, leave the bugle alone and make a decent record you know? two things nobody understands what he's doing in the first place mm. because you're looking at sort of fairly you know um, underground ethnic music being yeah. sort of tried to be understood by 40 year old white middle class you know, you know. Yeah. so there's, there's that basic thing and there's also a thing of as you pointed out when artists reach a certain point of momentum they are viewed towards the A&R men. If the, if the artists fail, it's the A&R men's fault because they didn't get the market, properly didn't mm. spend enough money, they're cretins. If the artist's successful, it suddenly becomes, who the fuck's this guy telling us to turn the vocals up and yeah. you may get to the chorus quicker, you know, yeah. we, we, we could be successful without him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Alan McGee's input in something like Be Here Now, by his own admission, was nil. Mm. But at that point, are you telling Noel Gallagher, I think we could really do with a few less guitars in this. <laughs> but you end up sitting in the studio listening to a glassy mountain of pure uncut cocaine. How did we get here? Having just yeah. taken one to, to, to <laughs> yeah. enjoy the experience yeah. even more. Yeah. How did we get here? Yeah. I, actually, it's a great chart that I keep meaning to do it. Great, um, great, you know, Glassy Mountains, Cocaine <laughs> <laughs> Rock albums, Big yeah. and Now is obviously up there. Yeah. Um, Big Country Steel Town is another one. If you right. listen to that record, it's just yeah. 50 layers of overdub treble yeah, guitars because yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. out their mind. And, yeah. Hotel California. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's some worse than others. You can do it. Oh, yeah. The worst cooking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I. Yeah. 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 Of course, the second cup. Yeah. Three no. good tracks on Stone Roses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we like it. Yeah. No, that's what I call by cooking. One, one of the things I really liked about it a lot was, uh, I mean, I liked all of it really, uh, as you'll see in the latest issue of Word magazine. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things I really liked about it was, it was the kind of honesty, Estelle Fox's honesty, in the sense that it goes, "Don't get a band together." We talked about this. Mm-hmm. Don't get a band together. 
don't bother. There's a million bands. <laughs> all 999,999 will fail and you'll go back to your life somewhere more disappointed and crushed and angry and upset and bitter than you could ever possibly be. Just don't bother. Don't bother putting a band together. Yeah. It's going to fail. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you, you said that you read out that section to uh, some people. Yeah, yeah. That, I, did, I did a reading in Oxford a couple of weeks back and then I, I read that section and as I'm reading it I'm looking at the audience thinking the audience is 90% composed of sort of kids in their early 20s late teens in unsigned bands oh that's so wonderful so, so they oh. come along because they, they're thinking hey great there's a guy from the music industry he's going to give me a few useful tips to get, <laughs> to get my, to get my group my into the big time my useful tip is yes leave it and you get, walk away from you get it Stephen Stelfox basically saying kill yourself yeah. you know? <laughs> and then so anyway I thought after and these kids came up to me after it and I thought I wasn't quite sure how it was going down but they were oh well I'll but it was really funny and it hadn't dented the enthusiasm right. for being a band it was just wonderful it hadn't yeah. dented it at all because if you're going to do it for the right reasons you're going to do it anyway yeah. it doesn't matter what the odds are it's irrelevant because you know you're the one if you're wanting to do it for reasons of sort of you know the money or the fame or the you know as so much the culture is now then maybe the odds would put you off rightly so you know but so much of the of the undercurrent of the book is based on this absolute contempt for everything, isn't it? Mm. You know. Mm. Now, I don't imagine this necessarily applied to you directly, but <laughs> no. clearly the climate at the time, at we, and we can name them, London Records, <laughs> and I remember London Records, and in fact you mentioned some of the people in the book who I, I remember working there, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. is this, it's just contemptuous. You know, they, they, they refer to the buyers, the, 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 the potential market for the, for the records they release as tollers. Which <laughs> right? yeah, is short for proletarians. That's, that's actually you one know. of the nicer ways. Though, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it was the other way, but uh, yeah. yeah. Tollers is actually quite friendly. Really. It is, exactly. Tollers was kind of what they call um, chavs before the word chav. Yeah, I know what you mean. To, yeah. uh, I always thought taller was the better expression, so I'm a bit annoyed yeah. chav took off yeah. and taller didn't. But um, <laughs> yeah, they would. I mean, I, I came from playing guitar in an indie band and running a little indie dance label, and then suddenly, you know, you know, I get off the job, I think. 30 grand a year back in 1994 so it was a lot of money at the time to suddenly go and do marketing and yeah. I remember the first couple of market meetings suddenly you know rec records were this stinking piece of shit artists yeah. were losers clowns yeah. spastic you know. yeah. uh, it was a real yeah. eye opener oh. I thought right okay yeah. uh, so you know and if you, again the parallel with Hollywood if you talk to Hollywood film producers scripts are always a stinking piece of shit and directors yeah. are always this Retard, and you know, everyone, everything's the odds are always conspiring against them. These how, well, how has people. that developed? Though? Why is I, that? Why is that attitude? I, I think because, because you deal in 90% failure rates, your mm. level of cynicism going into any project is the oh, that's very well put. that it will fail. Oh, I totally understand. So, that. you give a distance immediately if you're saying this piece of crap, yeah. You know, but yeah. then suddenly, you watch how fast that you know it becomes. It's a very, yeah, it's a very do, Russian yeah. attitude. There's a yeah. Russian toast which translated means let's drink to the success of our inevitably doomed endeavor. It <laughs> gives you a real insight into the Russian. <laughs> that should be the toast. Every signing celebration. Every signing ceremony ever did, as soon as the band signed the contract, he go, "Well, that's your career over then." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's in the book. Though, isn't it? There's a, when they sign, when he signs, uh, yeah, songbirds. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a fantastic bit in the book which where, where um, you're with a, the indie group and. Is that them? Someone, no, that's Songbirds is the Songbirds Sugar Bates. Yeah. And they ask you what the, <laughs> oh, what, yeah, what, what the label can offer. Yeah. And you say, what is there to tell, really? We'll manufacture your records and put them in the fucking shops. 
We'll try our best not to spend a red cent unless we're sure we'll get it back with interest. We'll second-guess you and interfere at every conceivable stage of the artistic process. We will edit and remix tracks without your permission. We'll force you to appear on appalling, degrading kiddies TV programs where you will shake hands with Dobbin the donkey and have to explain yourself to a teenage VJ with the attention span of a Ritalin-fueled infant. It goes on and on and on. The very end says, we'll undercount you and charge you for every recoupable expense from the staples used to knock out your horrendous contract <laughs> together uh, to, the, to the coke for, you've had from the fridge in my office. And if it doesn't all work, we'll drop you faster than a Plymouth hooker's knickers when there's a big ship in town. <laughs> and it's just so, it's so unbelievably depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And obviously it was true, was it? Well, it was the idea of a exploiting these, these artists. You do you know? a lot of these dinners where bands would say, so tell us about your label. Yeah, and if you're perfectly frank, well, unless you're a, unless you're a heavenly or a maybe a creation as it was back then, mm. an indie label with your own culture. If you're a major record company, tell us about your major record company. Well, we're exactly the same as every other major record company. Yeah. We will try yeah. and exploit you as yeah. well as we can, and if it fails, we'll drop you instantly. Yeah. How did that sound? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That worked. Still want to sign so, you? but what you do, what people do, of course, is crappy. But yeah, you know, we really we really understand long-term artist development and blah yeah. blah blah. And yeah. You know, we really see this a long term. You know. But the interesting thing, actually, we ought to explain, actually, that the, the area that you were in, in London, is specifically a kind of high turnover. It's not typical of the whole industry at the time, because, you know, there were obviously, anyone listening here would think, did this apply to Radiohead or whatever? No, I mean, there were groups. No. I love the way instead of your character cannot stand Radiohead, does yeah. it? Yeah. He keeps hearing Radiohead well, on, the, on the radio and think, well, yeah. that will never work. Well, well, but, but I remember very well Radiohead when Pablo Honey came out. I mean, that was, that, you know, Creep was a, 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 literally a free kid. And, uh, you know, there was definitely an air of Radiohead about them that this was not going to go anywhere. This was... Well, the th and then the Benz came along and suddenly everyone went, oh, hang on, no, maybe they're really good. You well, know, then again, when OK Computer was happening, the first people to hear things mm. is usually tapes begin to circulate yeah. in the industry. And the first reaction to stuff like Karma Police and stuff like that is this eight-minute-long mm. avant-garde, you're never going to get this in the radio. So I love the fact that Stephen is such a cretinous animal. Mm. <laughs> I mean, of those two albums, he backed Be Here Now, yeah. rubbish, he's right. OK Computer. Yeah. Yeah. He completely... But if you, in a close reading of the book, there's a tiny fragment where he's completely out of his mind mm. at Glastonbury, yeah. and he's watching Radiohead, and he almost, through a combination of the drugs and the moment, he almost gets it. Yeah. It's almost yeah. for a second, there's this yeah. little moment where he gets a glimpse of the power and beauty of music, but of course yeah. it's immediately shoved aside. You know? yeah. I love his, again, his contempt. He goes to Glassbury and he describes all the audience as scumbags. He describes clubbers as Teflon-shirted arguments for mass sterilisation. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely ruthless. No, but the point I was going to make was that, was that obviously, you know, the, the idea was there was a part of the music industry where you could get these long-term development things and you hope to have a hit with your third album. But, mm. I mean, I suppose my question to you would be, in a week where Guy Hands, who's the uh, CEO of Terra Firma, the, the company who have taken oh, over EMI recently, um, has very publicly announced that he feels that most A&R men are, are work shy, tossers yeah. who uh, need to get up in the morning and Thank do some work, and, and also implied that, you know, there isn't going to be this uh, world where artists have the luxury of development anymore. I mean, oh. do, do you think we're now in a completely different uh, environment? Well, well, an executive said to me, it's now all so short to mid-term thinking, this was very recently, that, you know, back when you signed, if you signed a Radiohead or Manic Street Preachers, those bands were both signed 91, 92, and neither of them really broke till about eight, 92, did I say 91? Mm. 91, yeah. 92. Yeah. Neither of them really broke till like 95, 96. It was four or five years mm. of developing. You're not going to do that now, because you, 
everybody's on at the most a three-year contract. If you're the MD of a company, are you going to literally break the bank, sinking a fortune to trying to break the next Radiohead, when in all probability it won't work? Yeah. And you're out of job and then, no, you want something you can sign, turn over, make profit on within a year or two. So a lot of that long-term development is going to be... There will still be individual, of course, who, who have the power and the kind of foresight to go to the wall for certain acts. Yes. But um, the, the corporate culture now, much less so. You know, you're either Chris Blackwell's where, you know, yeah, we put three albums out, and if it happens in album four, that's fine. That's all well, I suppose much there's also eroded. the element of uh, people being able to develop their own careers. You know, it's such a sort of different world where people can have, you know, record independently and, you know, have their own business mm. plans and the, the, the touring and things like that, mm. they can do, they don't need mm. a huge well, input of cash. The, the, the old, the old, so then the, people the, come along and sort of cherry pick what they want from The them. old business model has been completely reversed. The, the, back in the 80s and 90s, the business model was, yeah, well, you lose money in the road, but we'll pay the tour support and go out and do it and we'll sell some records. Now, you're not, you're not selling any records anyway. Mm. You're not making any money from the ones you are selling. So it's now banned. If you're a big mid-level act, you yeah. go out and you earn your living over the festivals. You can play a festival every weekend yeah. from May to September now going around Europe. Mm. So that's give, us, you're... give us one example of, of a, a real-life situation where you, where you met a, um, you know, a rock star who exhibited appalling arrogance or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> give him a real, I want a real-life example. What do you name names? Eh, uh, God. If you can, legally. Well, no, no, it's just... It's just the, the, the Van Morrison? <laughs> <laughs> you wait, man. Sadly, I had that many band encounters. I mean, it's easier to give you examples of my horrible hubris and arrogance. <laughs> no, that's true. Oh, um, I think it, there was one time at a party at the Chrysler Building in New York where um, for Janet Jackson, where off my nut and um, various substances, <laughs> I... Handed my coat to um, Benny Medina, thinking he's a bouncer, uh, <laughs> asking him to check that for me. Not realizing Benny Medina, of course, was managing Janet Jackson and um, Maria Carey. Well, Stuffed a five dollar bill. Uh, Go <laughs> buy yourself a drink, mate. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. <laughs> a couple and me, Benny. That's so yeah. that contract never happened. Yeah. <laughs> but um, rock stars. Yeah. Well, most, most it is a fantastic book, and mm. uh, I'm thoroughly recommend it. And I'd be very surprised if it wasn't made into a film. It's called Kill Your Friends. Well, well, well interesting. Interesting point. William Heinemann. Yeah. Thank you very much. When's it out, John? Uh, it came out three weeks ago. Came out three weeks ago. So there we are. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, we already have three or four parties interested in film rights. So well, fantastic. I'll keep you guys posted. Really, you that. really deserve some success. It's but very, very, very uh, funny. Uh, and very filthy as well. I, I won't yeah, leave it around filthy. my house because we haven't even children funny. We haven't disgusting. even gone into the whole end <laughs> point, which we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Oh, no, we shouldn't give away. No, not give away. But I haven't even mentioned the whole other side. The other Just about pop and rock. But the, uh, a lot of it's obsessed with uh, you know, the notion of, of developing acts and new acts and, and people at the, the young groups who are being signed. And by way of a massive contrast, um, I, I went to see um, the Zombies oh, yeah. on Friday night who have reformed to play... The uh, original lineup. Yeah, well, there's uh, the four of them that are still alive. You know. Who died, was it? Yeah, it was the... I can't it wasn't Argent, was it? Wasn't player, it? But the drummer, the bass player, and obviously the singer and, and Ron Argent still alive. Well, but... Yeah. Um, it was just so fascinating because, I mean, the story was this. It's a record called Odyssey and Oracle that came out in 1968, which was believed to be, um, at the time, they felt was going to catch the wonderful trade winds of psychedelia. <laughs> and it, it was so delayed by the fact the record company thought they'd missed the boat and that progressive rock had taken over and he might as well just scrap the whole bloody thing went back into your book again. <laughs> All that money's been spent now. Flush it down the toilet. Yeah. And eventually Al Cooper, who was just a very highly regarded at the time because he'd been on you know, Blonde on Blonde mm. and, uh, uh, with, with Bob Dylan, intervened and told the record company they absolutely had to put this thing out. It was a masterpiece. And by the time 
and they did and time of the season was an enormous hit yeah. mm. wonderful record mm. the group had split up and about five different versions of the zombies immediately formed with no original <laughs> zombies <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. all touring yeah. all touring to fill the vacuum you know. and it was kind of real the movie was the, the, the Shepherd's Bush Empire in London and Al Cooper himself flew over to tell the story and oh, then really? introduced oh, really? the group that came on but the thing that really fascinated me and I don't know whether you've got the observations about this is that, is that when you see musicians in their mid-60s on stage rock musicians if they're the Rolling Stones mm. And they obviously have the benefit of a huge amount of money. They can still look a little bit fabulous. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a, might, there might be a bit of uh, attention to the hair and the. Uh, but they, but they, carry, they carry them. They, they have. A, they there's an aura about look, them. Of yeah. Great. The, 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 the tang of money and the yeah, skin. Yeah, yeah. The, the tang, tang, you know, you know, you can look terrific. Yeah. You know. Uh, but. Whereas, whereas, <laughs> well, two of the zombies are great, but the bass player is a yeah. fantastic old fellow. Yeah. I don't want to uh, in any way disparage him because he's a lovely chap called Jim Rodford. And he wasn't the bass player of the zombies, but he was the bass player actually of, of Argent. Mm. And he was fantastic to watch because he's kind of, he looks like he's come out of a kind of Popeye cartoon. You know, he looks like the sort of guy who'd actually normally be driving a minicab. But there he is, back Maybe. with a bass. Yeah. Yeah. And he did the most extraordinary thing, which I haven't seen really since Spinal Tap, is when they did uh, Hold Your Head Up, uh-huh. you know, by, um, yeah, yeah. by Argent, you know. He, I noticed he was punching the air with his right hand, like, and the yeah. bass part was still being played with his finger. Yeah. Yeah. He was hammering his left finger. Hold your ball, 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 ball. Bass hammer on. He was really? hammer on. Not precisely that, yeah. Uh, and I thought this, and he, he was just wonderful to watch because he was kind of like an old, old kind of circus horse that had gone back into a routine that he'd forgotten. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> gone mad. Yeah, gone mad. No more sugar. Like the Rose Bowl in Pennsylvania. You know, he's still there. Hold your head up. Oh, it's fantastic. But do you know what I mean? There is something sort of rather wonderful about about the the, the aging. I think rock there, there is something. There's there's something very kind of free about it, isn't it? Because you don't have to. You're not thinking about your legacy and or how will this look on you know the telly or how will this look in ten years time. You're just thinking, I can't believe I'm here and doing mm. this and enjoying well, it. There's a kind of real sense of just kind of natural enjoyment yeah, to it. Yeah, I have to say, on a personal sort of check, when I in the eighties I played guitar on the Wishing Stones mm. and. Um, just the last few years, some friends formed a sort of ad hoc covers group to do friends' weddings and mm. stuff called the Hold Dogs. And with very guest singers, Edward Collins did a number with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right. um, Ed Harcourt plays with us, Magic Numbers and Keris Matthews. Various people do different lineups. Yeah. But that was the first time I'd got on stage and played guitar in nearly 20 years, the past mm. couple of years. And it's incredible how when you do that, when you get, you, you get up there and plug your guitar, you immediately sort of revert to what you were like 20 yeah, years. Yeah. There's, no, there's no thought of dignity. You're thinking people, <laughs> yeah. in your mind, you're yeah. 21 again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not up right. there thinking, I look like a 40-year-old accountant <laughs> rapist who's gone mad. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're just up there thinking, I look the same. I'm an I rock oh, yeah. And You course, flatter yourself here. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, then you scan around the audience, and it's a bit like when Krusty the Clown's doing the sort of alternative comedy routine and bombing in that club, and you just yeah. hands around the audience, it's just jaws on the floor. So, <laughs> what, what could be happening? I totally agree with you. <laughs> absolutely magical about it because these guys this, I mean Argent you know had a huge amount of success didn't they mm-hmm. they played these huge venues and uh, whereas Colin Blunstone the singer of the zombies actually was, was probably having slightly more uh, slightly more reduced cirques but yeah it's the idea you just go back into this routine yeah. it's that people literally without realising the saying go thanks for coming out yeah, yeah. Bush. where does that come from <laughs> yeah. thanks for coming out it's, it's just, it's just a part of the brain engages you have in yeah. the I I'll be running things for the next half hour or so you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh god what am I doing no, no it's brilliant plug and play <laughs> Well, look, thank you so much for coming in. And we ought, actually, we ought to, just, I've just seen this, there's a flyer on the internet here for an event on Friday night, which I'm going to read out, because it's quite funny. It's good stuff. It's, uh, it's called Free Bar Fire versus Word Magazine. 
It's brilliantly written. It says, there's a rumble brewing a down rumble. the Essex Road as the snotty young upstarts from Three Bar Far take on the bastions of all that's Greek and good. Brilliantly patronising. Witheringly patronising. From Word magazine in a tag team sound clash of epic proportions. In the blue corner, Word, drawn on the mighty Mark Ellen, the editor, Rob Fitzpatrick, Kate Mossman and 70s Mike Johnson. While in the red corner, Three Bar Fire call up, the last sceptic, roughhousing, chief and wordmaster. He can't wordmaster. Can't wordmaster. Okay, should play for us. Yeah. Will there be blood? No, probably not. But there'll definitely be excellent music. Is anyone way to decide? Fight. So that's this Friday, isn't it? Where's the Queen's Head? Is it in Islington? Word in a DJ clash in North London. DJ clash with three bar fire. Be there, please. Be there. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. Very good to see you. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.